Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around security for 20 years. I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast, and I have a joy and a happy time to talk to Luigi today. So Luigi, you come across the pond from Europe, and I want to hear about you and the company. Thank you, Eugenie. Yes, thanks for having me on board today. So Luigi, Italian living in France, very passionate about IT, put my finger on a keyboard when I was four years old and I've, I'm still using that kit. It is an IBM M from the 5150 uh, PC. I'm still using that keyboard actually, that never left me in uh, 45, 40 years since. That brought me to France where I worked at Dell for about 20 years, doing a variety of roles and then left Dell to get back to my other passion, that is speed. I used to be a Formula 3 driver when I was a kid. So I went back on track, toured all the tracks in Europe while I was semi-retired in while I was searching for an idea for building a, a company and a new adventure. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk maybe a little bit of today before AI is what I've done for the last four years that uh, we've been investing in this new technology. So tell me quickly, like in one minute each, what is before AI? So before AI is a predictive intelligence where we are able to predict vector of future attacks, today specifically domain and IP addresses that will be used by criminals to deploy their command and control servers, so on and so forth. With this technology, we provide our customer a feed of future indicator of compromise that they can use in their DNS resolver, firewall, in their network in general to block traffic to those future sources of attack before the attack starts. Great. So I want to understand what happened in your life when you decided to start the company, where you're driving the Formula 3, or you made somebody for a beer, or maybe something. So the story is actually quite interesting. First of all, as I was semi-retired and doing my track days across Europe, I was invited by university to explore some of the technologies and patents that they had developed as they wanted to bring them to market, but they didn't have the right competencies. So I went there and I did two big encounters. The first one with my two co-founders, Luciano and Sebastian, they're both in Argentina. So they went and the other one with this technology. And so what happened is when I was working at Dell, specifically in the, in the firewall area, Sonicwall, customer would always complain that cybersecurity was a very reactive environment and always late compared to the attack. And they were challenging me and said, Luigi, why you and your product team cannot come up with something more proactive? And at the time, maybe you remember, there was this movie with Tom Cruise, Minority Report, and the concept of pre-crime and the mutants that could see the future of the crime and the police could stop the crime before the victim was made. And I was in my head when I watched it, I said, this is so cool. And one day somebody will invent pre-crime for cybersecurity. And so when I went to this university and I was exposed to those security, I found pre-crime. I found the technology that 
I thought would be pre-crime. And so I thought this is my mission now to make this science fiction concept become reality. And since we have even trademarked pre-crime, so it is actually our product name. Nice. You mentioned two partners. Did the partners came after you came up with the idea or during the idea or before the idea? So I met Luciano and Sebastian during that program. Just we got along because they're also very passionate about fast cars. So we had other conversation than the pure technology things that we were doing those days. But at first, they were not part of the project. So I started on my own after that, that event. And six months later, I was struggling to find the CTO and to build the team. And so I was still in touch with them. And they had abandoned the other technology that they had found of interest to them. And so we thought, okay, why don't we give it a try? And for six months, we tried to build this thing together. I have the idea and, and the market and, and the product. You have the capabilities and the marketing skills to bring this stuff to, to market as well. And so it's been not immediate, but soon enough. How long has the company been already with the product? Two, so, two the, so this story I've just told you was happening in 2018. So it's literally four years the company, then we built it for about two years and a half. There is a lot of data collection and machine learning models that had to be built before it was even useful, this product. And we created the company in November 2020. So it's now one year and a half that the company exists. I have a question that I ask usually in the end, but I want to ask you right now because I think it's appropriate. Is there any heroes or people you look out to that help you in your journey? Would Tom Cruise will be one or somebody else? Well, if you find, Tom Cruise is just, is, is definitely, I have to say, the movie was an inspiration. And time by time, uh, especially with the, now the challenges with deep fake, because, you know, Tom Cruise is probably the most deep faked actor at the moment, a replicated actor, so that it comes through. But no, that, that I wouldn't say that that is any particular presence. No, I think there is, uh, we don't have any particular person to which we are inspired for the company. We're more of a, inspired by the challenge of our customer and can we really help them move from this being a victim of the attacks into being actor of their defense that's really the interesting part for me great so you have an idea you have partner you start building you mentioned building mm -hmm. there are steps there are tasks that you need to stay and make sure you actually going in a correct direction you've been driving mm -hmm. fast cars so you know if you're going right direction it's going to be a disaster what was the validation? How, did, how customer help you to make sure you're actually going in the right, right direction and you're not going to end up somewhere you don't want to be, like a fence, you know? Yes. So definitely at the beginning, the, so before even we created the first, wrote the first line of code, in that six months that I said I was searching for a CTO, I did a lot of market research. I contacted a lot of product managers that I had in my network from the past, trying to understand, you know, how they were seeing this type of technology evolving and coming to market as well. So I would say that the first thing that helps us to start on track is that, you know, before you go in the right direction, you have to start in the right direction. It was really an understanding of the pain that the customer were having at scale in the market. And so once we understood that pain, then it was, the decision was taken, for example, to start with a threat intelligence feed rather than say a threat intelligence platform or other tools. Because we thought, okay, that's what is really going to add immediate value rather than trying to have people move from one tool to another and so on and so forth. So, so I would say the customer is our North Star and not any customer, right? So 
before it was the market, then very quickly we went into finding our first user. And then from that, the second user, the third user, and so on. And you need to speak with people. You need to be, you know, put the product in their hands or even the concept in their hands to get their feedback. This is smart. So basically, customer shape you the product features and what you want to do. Yes, but what is very important is sometimes people don't get this right is you don't have to ask your customer what they need because they wouldn't be able to tell you a thing that they don't have yet. You need to learn about what their pain is. What is that they're struggling with? What is it's costing them money? It's costing them time. It's making them not sleep whatever, right? So they're experts of their pain. Nobody knows their pain better than anybody else, right? And so if you, as long as you ask things about their pain, that's fantastic. Then you have to find the solution for that pain and build a product around solving that pain. Just don't ask them, okay, what would help you solve it? Because they're not experts at that. This is smart. You mentioned market research, and I think it's a very important part of mm-hmm. the listeners right now listening to us. And maybe some of them wants to open their own companies or they are curious about other companies. If you're not doing correct market research, you may end up in the complete wrong assumptions. So can you provide some of your experience of what help you with the market research tools, people? As I said, I mean, for me, market research was really speaking with other people in the industry, other product managers, potential customers, you know, even people on LinkedIn, you know, I started very rapidly creating a network on LinkedIn of experts. Well, thankfully, I already have some because of my past work, but I kept growing it and definitely very interesting to learn and asking them questions, trying to get their read of this, uh, of this subject. So what I would say is not market research, is not going on Statista and downloading files, that's not market research that is reporting or aggregating marketing research. Market research is actually asking is open questions that you try to confirm or validate or disprove. The best marketing research is actually when you get confirmation that you are wrong or that people tell you, no, this doesn't work. And so you you don't waste time on it. This is a good one. So market research leads to marketing, leads to product. What's come first? Chicken on it. Do I start to market my product even before I have all the features? Or I need to wait and finish the product and they say, oh, it's already working? Yeah, I don't think there is a sequence. So I'm a product person because I'm not, you know, I've been many years in services and I've understood that you can build a service for an individual customer or an individual need. It's, it works very well, but it's not very scalable. One, when you build a product, you're trying to, cover for maybe 80% of the need of a large population. And so it will not be perfect in most cases, but it will be good enough for being bringing something scalable. And that's okay because most people are okay with good enough. Perfect is the enemy of good, as you know. So for me, the two things goes hand in hand. Right? If I think to our product, we're still today ashamed of it. We're not proud of it. I mean, we're proud of the capability, but is so far away from where we think it should go because we didn't wait for having the product to start having the customers. As we had something usable and it was literally stitched together and even manual processes to connect various things, we got it into the hands of users and user gave us feedback and that feedback improved the product. And then we started to talk about it and we got more feedback. And so we changed it. So I wouldn't put it in an order, obviously, 
product has to improve to deliver value, but you want to have that continuous feedback that comes through marketing as in understanding the market in which the product fit. Thank you. If you can go back in time, not very long, three, four years ago, what the advice you will give to yourself when you started the journey? What the advice I would give to myself four years ago, I think find some industry experts that could be our investors. So what I'm thinking to this is we got investors at the early stage and very good ones, but I think in insight, it would have been even easier if we had as investor people like CISOs of some companies and, and so on, right? So, and I think it would sometimes one is think that it would not find a business angel easily. But the reality is in this industry, the innovation is well perceived. And so if you can get to the right people, they will want to invest it, right? And I think that's maybe an insight. The one thing I would change is try to find some kind of investor earlier in the process. We're going to switch gears. We're going to go to the dark side. Dark for members only. For now, it's wide open for everyone. We're going to talk about what's went wrong. So tell me about a shitty day, shitty investor meeting, customer, like basically something that you will wish you were avoided. Let me see. Well, there is definitely a case of a proof of value that we did with a very large customer here in France, in which the results of the proof of value was the customer asking, no, said, recommending us to change the models that we use in our technology. And um, not because they had tried it, but just because they thought from a theoretical perspective, it would have been better. So I don't have a lot of patience for convincing people. I don't like to convince people. To me, you should, if you have a problem, you should try what I have, fix it, that problem and give you value and be done with it, right? And so there is certain prospect. And in this case that you make me think of was particularly you know, extreme where they want to understand the in and outs of the product before they even understand if it's going to give them the value they need, right? And I think that's, you know, doing the things a bit on the on the opposite direction. First, understand if we're providing value. If you're not providing value, let's not waste your time on my time, right? That's if that's if you don't have that problem or we don't have a solution for that problem, then we shouldn't be too much analyzing and overanalyzing who does what. Okay. What about times of you say that, oh my God, I don't know why I'm here. I want to just close the company and go home. I don't think I have this, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe not. There is, so we recently closed our Series A fundraise and we had to go through the due diligence process in which a number of things get analyzed. And I hate waste, but I was doing financial due diligence, legal due diligence, IP due diligence, and social as in on the employees due diligence. And 75% of the things that these different lawyers and experts were asking me was exactly the same stuff. And each one was asking it in a different format. <laughs> and I was saying, why I'm spending all this time answering these people in a very repetitive, wasteful uh, approach. I hate bureaucracy when it doesn't add value. And this definitely was not adding any value <laughs> at all to me anyway, probably to the investors. I don't know. But so yeah, what I, I, it's thankfully so far, there hasn't been anything related to the business that make me have had uh, some strange thought about it.
but definitely some some areas of the business I don't like. But that's part of any business, not just ours. How was hiring people? So it's very interesting. So we are fully distributed. We don't have offices and we hire everywhere in the globe. Right? The company is French, based in France, with a legal entity. But as I told you, the co-founders, Lucian and Sebastian, are in Argentina. So from day zero, we are a global company and we are fully distributed. We have team members in Dubai, in Italy, in Ireland. It's a great advantage to be fully distributed, but you need to hire with a specific lens, right? So the advantage is you have less constraints because your pool of talent, it's global. And you're not searching for people in the 30 kilometers around your headquarter. And so you get to get fantastic candidates from, I don't know, from North Europe, from the US, from Latin America, from Asia and so on. On the other end, not everybody is effective in a fully distributed organization. You need to be very autonomous. You need to be self-motivated. And so the challenge of hiring for fully distributed is really identifying the right attitudes that will make you successful in this context. From hiring perspective, how do you decide who to hire? Because there is, I think, in some cases, intention to hire people that have similar values as you, but mm-hmm. they may be different. They may be attached to the details, maybe more sporadic. How do you decide how to balance different type of people to make sure you're innovating and not just right. going and step on the, like one, only one direction? A couple of thoughts there. We were part of, we still are part of an accelerator called the Venture City. And this uh, accelerator, one of the first things we did there that, I think it's been probably one of the most valuable return on investment of being part of the accelerator was writing our value charts, right? So the list of values of the company, what, how do we want to build this company? What is the foundation of the company? So when we hire people, we met, we interview them for those values, right? So that's the first thing you want to make sure that they fit in the culture of the company, aside fitting with the fully distributed. Then you want to search for diversity. Now, I think the what helped us is that, again, me, Luciano, and Sebastian are very diverse as we live in different parts of the world. Here is summer now in France while in, it's winter in Argentina. So, you know, we have a different perspective on who we should hire. And we have this multi-step, right? Each one of us does the interview and then we put our notes together. So I think to to what you want is... is within the context of your values and the paradigm of your company, then you want to search for maximum diversity. And to do that, you want to diversify how you do the interviews. So far, so good. We only got one bad apple in the more than 30 that we have hired. Sounds good. Luigi, thank you very much. A lot of cool ideas. I like the ways that you structure the company. I'm well familiar with racing, by the way. I did racing photography for a number of years and never raced myself, but I saw all the racing and experience to the lens. It was a bit different experience. And I needed to show the people, let them feel what you guys potentially feel when you drive the past. We should say that actually we got to know each other because I saw a picture of a race car on your LinkedIn profile. And that was the trigger. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) yes, yes, you're right. You're right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Happy to chat. And we'll touch base soon and other ideas as well. Thank you, Eugenie, for having me. For everybody that's listening to us right now, thank you very much for tuning in. Please comment, like, and share. And know we're going to be more episodes to come. Thank you very much for everyone. See you soon in the next episodes.